Our first reading today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Our second reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, but put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And finally, our third reading is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're coming to the end of our brief look at the Lord's Prayer which has been an opportunity to flesh out how, as believers, we should live in this complex world. And today we consider those well-known but challenging words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this is all about us seeking God's protection from the perils of temptation and spiritual attack. And I'd like to unpack this under three headings. First, the strategy of Jesus. Second, the strategy of the devil. And third, a strategic worldview that works. First then, the strategy of Jesus. When we become a Christian, we're transferred from one kingdom to the other. Like a transfer from Manchester United to Manchester City. These days an upgrade. Like crossing the floor of the chamber. Interesting. One moment we're in the kingdom of darkness, the next through our confession of faith in Jesus Christ, we are in the kingdom of light. It can be a dramatic conversion in floods of tears or an unspoken word in the dark. It doesn't matter. In every married person's life, there's a moment when they're not married and a few seconds later, having said the vows, you are married. You may kiss the bride. It's a change of legal status. And so it is with Christianity. When we come to Christ, we enter a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom, with wholly different values. We belong to him. We have been born again. We have become a new creation. But sadly, 
That sadly does not mean that we instantly become perfect, full of all the character traits of a mature Christian. Oh no, when I gave my life to Christ in 1979, I did not suddenly lose all my selfish ambition, or temper, or impatience, or greed, or lust. Sadly not, and my wife could readily confirm this. It was just the start of a journey to become Christ-like. And it's a journey of all of us who believe in Christ are on. And on this journey, we will be tempted regularly. Temptation comes from two sources. First of all, ourselves, our old self, what the King James Version refers to as the flesh. That doesn't mean our body, our arms and legs, but our, our old self, the person I was before I became a Christian. This prayer that Jesus taught us is asking God to help us overcome temptation, to give us the inner strength not to succumb, to have that, not to have that extra drink, watch that explicit film, gossip about our friend, be cruel to people working for us, fiddle my expenses, shout at the traffic warden. This prayer recognises that on this journey to Christ-likeness, we need help. We need God's help to avoid falling to temptation. By the way, we will all be tempted. The key is whether we give in to it or not. And the second source of temptation is the devil. And I'll come to what the Bible says about a malign spiritual force in a moment. But first, look at the way Jesus deals with temptation from the devil in the passage we heard read by Sophie from Luke. He's just been baptised by John at the age of 30, about to start his ministry, and off he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, 40 days, praying and fasting, no doubt getting instructions from his father. He returns from the wilderness and he must be starving. And Luke records in verse 2 of chapter 4, in his understated way, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So Jesus was weak and vulnerable, and the devil chooses his moment and pounces. The devil tempts him to turn stones into bread, eat and be satisfied. Jesus counters by quoting scripture. Again, the devil attacking while he is vulnerable says, worship me and I'll give you everything. Jesus counters by quoting scripture. Three times he does this. This is his winning strategy. And this is a huge clue for us as to how we might also counter temptation, whatever its source, to immerse ourselves in biblical truth. Not just having a verse ready to quote, but being saturated with biblical principles so we know what's right and wrong and what God wants for our life. To understand how much he loves us when you're tempted to do what you know you should not do, does scripture come to mind? Do you draw upon the resources we've been given to resist temptation and to remain firmly on the path of righteousness? Have you even worked out yet when you are especially vulnerable and need to take special care? It worked for Jesus and it will work for us. Second, the strategy of the devil. It's become common thinking in the past two centuries to suppose that everything around us has a natural beginning and can be explained away by natural causes, that there is no God, no spiritual realm, no heaven, no hell, that when we die we rot. Most people do not have the intellectual honesty to take that thinking to its natural conclusion, 
namely that this renders the whole of life meaningless, lacking any higher purpose. So they live in some kind of sentimental no-man's land, living as though there is no afterlife, but saying things like, I know he's looking down on us when Grandad dies. But that is not what the Bible teaches, or what we believe as Christians. We do believe in spiritual forces, a God who created us, and who came to earth 2,000 years ago to save us. We believe in a beginning when God created the universe, irrespective of whether it took six days or six billion years, that there will be one day an ending and a reckoning, a new heaven and a new earth, in which those who believe in Christ will live with God forever. And this Jesus, the one in whom we place our trust, talked a lot about heaven and hell, God and the devil. That was the worldview that shaped his thinking and his teaching, and it should shape ours. Well, you say, as a Western modern person, I can't believe in such primitive teaching. The devil? Satan? Nobody believes that anymore. And that's exactly, of course, what the devil wants us to think. But this is not a pick-and-mix gospel. We're not free to leave the bits we don't like on the shelf. The Bible offers us a complete worldview. We can't say Jesus was just a great teacher and a prophet. He cannot have been a great man if he claimed to be God, which he did. He was either deluded or it was true, nothing in between. And Jesus taught that there is a spiritual realm and there is a real devil who's out to destroy us. And the verse in 1 Peter that was read earlier makes the same point. Now C.S. Lewis wrote an insightful book about all of this, which I recommend, The Screwtape Letters, a really good read. And in the introduction, he makes the point that most of us tend to fall into one of two mistakes about the devil, either not to believe in him at all, which is a mistake, or to blame him for everything and give him too much credence which is also a mistake. And I'm sure we've all come across Christians who can't find their socks in the morning and they blame the devil. No, you're just untidy and disorganised. Or the car won't start. Enemy attack. No, you left the door open overnight and the battery is ran down. It's equally a mistake to live your life as though there is no spiritual battle, no one out to destroy you, because then you won't be looking to God to protect you. And let's not fall into either trap. The devil exists. He is the father of lies. And he has two main strategies against us. Temptation and accusation. To tempt us away from the path of righteousness, as I mentioned earlier. And a knowledge and commitment to scripture is an essential way to counter that. As is having friends around you who can stand with you and pray with you, as Stephen shared earlier. But the devil also accuses. You're no good. No one likes you. You will never amount to anything. He places doubt in our hearts. The answer to these attacks is also to immerse ourselves in biblical truth. Yes, I am a sinner. The Bible tells me I am a sinner. We all are. That's why Jesus had to die for us. But God loves us so much, he came in person to die for me and for you. He loves us. And that's the gospel. Don't believe the father of lies. Thirdly then, and finally, a strategic worldview that works. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a set of dry and dusty doctrines from history. 
It's not just a philosophy. It's not just good advice. It's a life-changing theology that provides us with a clear view of our origins and destiny, of good and evil, a complete worldview. In the film Silence of the Lambs, there's a chilling conversation between the serial killer Hannibal Lecter and a female police officer. She asks, what happened to you that you ended up like this? In a chilling riposte, Hannibal asserts that nothing happened to him. This is simply who he is. I am evil, he said. Our modern minds do not like to talk of pure evil. If you believe the natural world is all there is, evil is hard to explain. So in, we insist that with better laws, greater investment, more enlightenment, better education, new technology, we will start to make inroads into the causes of crime and poverty and deprivation and cruelty. But is that really the experience of the last two centuries? Are we not finding that although we can make a partial difference through all of these virtues, and we should, the underlying reality of the human condition remains the same? And I think the people of Ukraine would agree. Some things can only be explained by our Christian worldview. That the human condition is selfish and sinful. It can be ameliorated and shaped to some degree by good laws and investment, but only to some degree. The German race was one of the most educated on earth, but it produced Hitler and the Holocaust. The United Kingdom, with all our sophistication and development, produced police officers who rape and kill young women, and young men who shoot innocent strangers on the streets of Plymouth with a pump-action shotgun. Having the right strategic worldview equips us to understand and act appropriately. There is a God who created the world and made us in his image. We rebelled. He intervened to save us and brings us redemption and hope. But there is still sin in our hearts and a devil who's prowling around seeking to destroy us. And we need to understand all of this if we are to be successful in politics. There are limitations to what better laws and investment alone can achieve, but there can still be and must be redemption and hope. And that is one reason why we need Christians in the political arena, so that we can bring a proper understanding of human nature and the spiritual battle we are in. To conclude, the Lord's Prayer is a pragmatic reminder of the reality of the spiritual battle that exists, whether we like it or not. If we try to walk alone and just in our own strength, we will fail. If we think we can by natural methods only solve the world's problems, we will fail. We must pray for God's protection and help. Above all, we need to immerse ourselves in biblical truth and then we will not be led into temptation and we will be protected from the devil's schemes. Amen. Before we sing again, let's just bow our heads and pray very briefly. Father, thank you for your word, for the, the truth of it. Help us to have in our minds a proper understanding of all that you've created so that we might serve you and love you and not be led into temptation and not fall victim of the devil's schemes, but may live flourishing and successful lives, basking in your love and sacrifice. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.